Today we're continuing our series that we've been walking through called Answering Our Culture. And I know this is not everybody's cup of tea, but I feel like this is an important subject, an important issue that we need to deal with in these times because there are people that have questions, there are people that have objections to Christianity, and we've been dealing with those. And the goal of this series is not to teach you how to argue with people because I've never seen anybody argue to Jesus but I want you to be certain of where you stand. I want to, you to know what the Bible teaches, why we believe, not just what we believe, but why we believe what we believe so that you can stand firm and you can, and you can uh, be used by God in those situations. Today, I want to start by asking you a question. What do most people who do not follow Jesus say about him? Most people, you know, if you say, who is Jesus or who was Jesus? What would they say? Well, I don't know about you, but often I hear somebody, they'll say something like, well, he was a good man, or he was a good teacher, or they might even say, well, maybe he was a prophet, or he was a holy man, maybe he was the most holy man that ever lived. And most people would agree that Jesus was a good man, and that he had many good things to say, especially when he gets to things like the golden rule, and and when they talk about the Sermon on the Mount, those sort of, sort of things, but The problem is that's where most people stop and they're not willing to declare that Jesus was the divine son of God who came to earth in the body of a man. And listen, the the truth is, if you if you confess that Jesus is the divine divine son of God who came to earth in the body of a man to pay the penalty for our sin, that means that you are responsible for doing something with that belief. You see, belief is not just something that you have in your head. Belief is something that is acted upon. In fact, your actions always show what you really believe. And so if you say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, then you will take action. You will do something about what you believe. And today what we're going to do is we're going to respond to those who would say something like, Jesus was just a good teacher. Or maybe another variation. Maybe they'd say Jesus was just a good man or something like that. And, 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 and I'm not going to give you my opinion today. I'm simply going to answer the question, what does the Bible say? And more specifically, what did Jesus say about himself? And, and I'm, I'm going to show you that not only was Jesus a good teacher. In fact, he was a good teacher. He was the best teacher that ever, ever walked the face of the earth because he re- revealed the Father to us. But I want to show you that he was not only a good teacher, but that he himself claimed to be God. And our focus today will be mainly on the claims of Jesus from the Bible. We're going to spend most of our time looking at what he said about himself. And my intention is to show the the large amount of evidence in Christ claims uh, about Christ claims about himself, because there are people, um, especially from other religious background, who will say Jesus was not the son of God. And so uh, I'm going to be reading a ton of scripture today. They're, I'm going to keep them busy back there at the computer. Their fingers are going to be uh, needing some rest. By the time we're done, we're going to read a ton of scripture uh, as we explore what Jesus said about himself. So let's, let's start by taking a look. Well, before we do that, would you bow your head and let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus that's in the word. And Lord God, as we look at this today, Lord, we're going to weigh what you said about yourself. Jesus, we want to know who you said you were. And then, Lord God, I pray that you would help us as we do that, that every one of us would take stock of our lives 
and that we would respond to what you said about who you said you were. And God, I just thank you for what you're going to do. I pray that you would anoint these words. Lord, I'm weak. I'm, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. But God, you are more than enough. So have your way in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's look at, at uh, the, the, uh, the things that Jesus claimed for himself. First of all, I want you to know, I want you to see this, that Jesus claimed the name of God. He claimed the name of God. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus did declare himself to be God, not just once, but on multiple and numerous occasions, Jesus made a clear statement where he said to those who were listening that he was God in the flesh. Look at John chapter 8, verses 52 through, uh, through 59 with me. This is what it says. At this, the Jews ex exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? They asked the question Jesus is going to answer. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. I read statements like that. I've often said, it's no surprise to me that Jesus was crucified. The surprise to me is that he lasted so long when he says things like, if I said I didn't know the father, I'd be a liar like you. Uh, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, we need to understand what's going on here to set the stage you have to go back to the Old Testament, specifically Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, we find the story of Moses and the burning bush. We all remember that moment. Moses is out tending the sheep. He looks and he sees this bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And he says, I'm going to turn aside and see what this is all about. And he goes there and God is in that place and he steps up next to the bush. And God says to him, Moses, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. And they have this whole conversation and God tells Moses, I'm, I want you to go back to Egypt, which already Moses is like, I don't want any part of this because I'm, I'm, I'm out here in the wilderness because there's a price on my head. I don't want to go back to Egypt because they're, they're, they're going to kill me if I do. And he says, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to lead my people out of slavery. I want you to lead them to freedom out, out of Egypt. And, and they had this conversation back and forth and Moses kept coming up with excuses why it shouldn't be him. Lord, send somebody else. I'm not good enough. I stutter all of these different things. And then eventually, uh, uh, in the conversation, Moses asked God uh, when, when he was thinking about going to Egypt, he said, God, uh, he says, who shall I say is sending me to them? He said, if I go there and say, I'm here to lead you out. They're going to say, who sent you? Who sent you? And this is the Lord's response. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now I want you to notice there that phrase. It's all in small caps. I am who I am. That, that's the, 
that's the name of God given to himself, the name that he revealed himself as. And I want to give you a little little, uh, insight. Anytime in the Old Testament where you see the word Lord or God and it's in small caps, that is the word that's used here. YH, it'd be a transliterated YHWH, which some people say Jehovah, uh, probably more accurately, it'd be Yahweh, something like that. And so God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he uses the name of God there. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now I want you to fast forward back to the New Testament times. The, the, the Old Testament in use during the days of the Roman Empire was a Greek translation called the Septuagint. So what they had done, they had taken the original Hebrew Old Testament, they had translated into Greek because that was a language that more people could read, and it was called the Septuagint. And in the passage we just read in the Gospel of John, Jesus says there, he, he actually not only claimed to be in existence before Abraham, we, we said that, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. So he not only claimed to be in existence before Abraham walked this earth, but he used the Greek form of this holy name that we just read about in in Exodus chapter 3. He used it. In fact, what's so shocking to, to to the Jewish leaders there is that the Jewish people considered this name of God to be so holy that they would not even say it out loud. They wouldn't, if they were reading scripture, they would not say that word out loud. And in fact, if they're writing it today, uh, they'll, they'll, uh, like in English, if it would be G D, they won't, they won't write or say the name of God. And Jesus not only says it, but he says it out loud. And he says, before Abraham was born, now you would expect he would say, I was, but that's not what he said. He quoted directly from this passage. He said, I am. I am. In essence, he was saying to the Jews, I'm the same person who spoke those words to Moses. That's what he's saying. And we can see that these people knew exactly what he was saying. They knew the claim that he was making because we're told that they immediately picked up stones to kill him because they understood very clearly Jesus was claiming to be God. Now let's look at John chapter 10, verses 25 through 33. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's a pretty, pretty bold statement there. And verse 31, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the father. For which of these do you stone me? He said, okay, I've done these miracles. Which miracle are you going to kill me for? Listen to what they said. We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you a mere man claimed to be God. So here we see again, very, very clearly that the people who heard him speaking got the message loud and clear when he said, I and the father are one. They knew that he was again, explicitly claiming to be God in that moment. And, And once again, the response was 
Let's kill him. Let's kill him. That's blasphemy. Now, I want you to, uh, uh, to talk about the fact that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah God. I, I'm, this is my, probably my favorite out of all of these. This is something that was, uh, as I looked at it, I saw some things I had never seen before, and I hope maybe it will, uh, it will be uh, revelatory for you. But the, the, the teaching of the Old Testament is very, very clear that, that the coming Messiah who would deliver Israel would be God himself. Uh, and we can see it, it when you read it. For example, the famous Christmas text, Isaiah 9, 6, you know the one I'm talking about. It, it says this about the Messiah. It says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We love that passage. We, you know, uh, handles Messiah. It's in there. We all of this. So we read this and it's very, very clear right here in this passage that this prophecy in this prophecy, that the coming Messiah would be the Almighty God, that He be the everlasting Father. In other words, it's it's right there that the Messiah would be God. Now I want you to look at Daniel chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen. In this passage, this is a, a, a great messianic prophecy that Daniel gave to us in Daniel chapter seven, and it's and it's prophesied that the Son of Man, which by the way. Jesus, that was one of Jesus's favorite titles for himself. You need to understand that every time he said the son of man, he was looking back to Daniel chapter seven and he was saying, I'm him. That's me. So it wasn't just a, uh, you know, a neat little title that he gave himself. He was, he was identifying himself with a prophecy in Daniel chapter seven. And so the, the Jews were expecting the Messiah to fulfill this passage and listen to what it says. Daniel chapter seven, 13. In my vision at night, I looked and there was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. So we know you don't worship a human being. So we know that he's talking not only about the Messiah, but he's talking about a Messiah who will be God. Uh, His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Well, an everlasting a, a king doesn't live forever if he's human. It's an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Daniel, Daniel prophesies about a coming Messiah whom he describes as a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and setting up an eternal kingdom over which he would rule forever. And in this everlasting kingdom, the Messiah would be worshipped by all nations and people of every language this is clearly speaking about a kingdom ruled by God. And it's, and it's also talking about the Messiah. Therefore, we can see again in the Old Testament that the coming Messiah would be God himself. Now, I want you to look at Psalm 110. I'm going to put all these together. I'm going to show you something that Jesus said. But all of these are important. It's foundational to, to understand what he's saying. Psalm 110, we find another prophetic passage describing the coming Messiah that would redeem Israel. In verse 1 of Psalm 110, this is what David wrote. He said, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now David wrote this prophetic psalm and, and the Jewish people understood that he was talking about the coming Messiah, that, that, that this would be uh, uh, talking about the, the kingdom of the, new, of the coming Messiah. And David here, he's speaking about someone who is yet to be born, 
someone who is not walking the face of the earth yet because the Messiah, Messiah had not come. This was a prophecy about something yet to come. And, and, and therefore, this person uh, cannot be a mere human being. If they're in existence, then at that moment in having a conversation with God the Father, but will also be born into humanity at some later date. And so we read here that Yahweh, because again, you see the Lord is in the small caps there. This is the name of God that, that Yahweh tells this person to sit at his right hand until he raises him up in victory and power. Now, I want you to pay attention. We're going to pull all these things together because something there's something here that you may have never seen before. Maybe you have, but maybe you haven't. So now I want you to flash forward. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years uh, later to, to the moment when Jesus was standing in front of the, the, the Sanhedrin. He's walking through a sham trial, uh, this, this illegal trial that's taking place before the religious leaders of Israel and they're interrogating him and they're trying to trap him. They bring false witnesses in. All these things are happening. And yet Jesus remains silent to all of their accusations. And finally, the high priest asked again, and I can just almost hear the exasperation in his voice as he's demanding an answer from Jesus. And the high priest asked him in, in Mark 14, he asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And I want you to listen to Jesus' response in Mark 14 because it is absolutely loaded with claims to be God. Let's pick it up with a high priest question, verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Verse 62. Does this sound familiar? I am. Does this sound familiar? I am, said Jesus. He, 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 he's quoting here already Isaiah 3.14. He's quoting it again and applying it to himself. I am. But I want you to see, that's not all he said. That'd be enough. But Jesus makes this, this is one of the most clear statements that Jesus made to the religious leaders of the day, saying that he was, that he was not only Messiah, but that he was God. Because he went on and he said, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Why? What did he say that was worthy of death? Obviously, the high priest would have recognized Jesus claiming to be the I Am, but there was even more to it than that because when Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, right there he's quoting Psalm 110 verse 1, claiming that he was the Messiah to whom that was that verse was referring. And that meant that he was the one whom, J, G, who, excuse me, whom David referred to as his Lord, and he was the one who was having that conversation with the Father when the Father said, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus, by, by saying this, he's making that claim. But that's, you know, how many of you ever seen an infomercial? Anybody ever seen an infomercial? What's one of the, the best the line in every infomercial? But wait, there's more. And, there's, and that's what I have to say to you. But wait, there's more, even more than that incredible claim. Because he went on, he said, you, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. So he, he, you take the first part and the last part. You will see the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Daniel chapter 7. 
What did Daniel chapter 7 say? How did Daniel see him? Daniel said, I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And Jesus said, you will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He just quoted Daniel 7, 13. So he says, I am. Then he quotes Psalm 110 and Daniel 7, 13, all of which point to the Messiah. And he says, I am that Messiah and I am God. And they condemned Jesus for blasphemy because they could clearly see he was claiming to be the Messiah God. In fact, I, I think Jesus saved that uh, most uh, blatant uh, claim to be God for that moment because he knew his time had come and it was time for him to go to the cross. The time had come for him to pay the penalty for our sin. And so he pulled it all together. He pulled out all the stops and he said very clear to them, in answer to the question, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? He said, absolutely, I am the Messiah. And not only that, I'm God in the flesh. It's powerful. Now, now look at the book of Revelation. I'll just read a few verses there. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. R chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. What I saw him, John speaking, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Then Revelation 22, 12. Behold, Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And in verse 16 of the same chapter, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am, th this is a really interesting phrase, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. You ever thought about that? How can you be the root of a man? In other words, his ancestor, the one who came before him, and the offspring of that same man. Only God, only Jesus could claim that. No one else. So Jesus, very clearly here, and this is, I've just touched on these. Jesus declared himself to be God on several different occasions. And it was very, very clear to the people who, who, to whom he was addressing that he was claiming to be God. Now, let me ask you a question. This is the point of this, this section of it. If you say Jesus is only a good teacher, would a good teacher, would a good moral teacher claim to be God if he was not truly God? The answer is no. You could not call him good if he was a mere man claiming to be God. In fact, you only have two choices. If he's, if he's not God, then he's either lying and he knows he's not, or he really believes it, but he's not. So he's either a liar or a lunatic. The only other option is to take what he said and say he must be Lord. I want you to, uh, let's move on to the second claim that Jesus made for himself. And, and this is a very interesting one because uh, this is more of a secondary issue. This isn't Jesus specifically saying I'm God, but there are places where Jesus claimed the functions of God. 
I want to show you six different incidents from Scripture where Jesus claimed the functions of God. The first is in, in John chapter 5, where Jesus claimed to be the ultimate judge of mankind. He said this, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and now has, and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Him. And He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of Man. That's a pretty bold claim. You know, if somebody came in and said, listen, I want you to know, God's given me authority to be the judge of all mankind. That's a, that is a function that only belongs to God. I, how could I, if I were a mere man, claim to judge all of the other men? I would be, that would be the most arrogant statement I could, I could even imagine. So he made, he claimed that. The second claim to the function of God, the second function of God he claimed, I should say, is that Jesus demanded demo, devotion ab, above love for family. And, and you know what? We, we live in a culture and society, and I think humanity in generally, we, we think of our family relationships as those that are closest, that are the most sacred, those that, that we would give anything for. And, 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 and that's, that's good. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that except for this is what Jesus said. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. By the way, what he translation there, he says, whoever doesn't love uh, me more than he loves his own life. Because if you're taking up your cross, you're on the way to die. So he's saying, anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So Jesus here is saying, listen. It is great for you to love your father and your mother. In fact, it's one of the commandments to honor your father and mother. He says, that's wonderful, but you've got to love me even more than you love your family. The ones that are closest to you, the ones that are most dear to your heart, you must love me more than them. Only God can make a claim like that. Here's another function of God that Jesus claimed for himself. That is that Jesus accepted worship. Now, we know the Bible forbids worship of anyone but God. God uh, very clearly condemns false worship, idol worship, all of these sort of things. And yet Jesus accepted worship on at least nine different occasions without rebuking those who were worshiping. I'm going to just highlight two of those occasions. Matthew 14, 32. And when they climbed into the, into the boat, the wind died down. Okay, so this is the, when the storm is coming and, and Jesus came walking on the water and then Peter went out and walked on the water and then he looked at the wind and the waves and he started sinking and Jesus saved him. And then, you know, he takes him back to the boat. They climb into the boat. It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were on the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. And there's not even an inkling that Jesus said, whoa, 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 don't, don't you worship me. Jesus fully accepted their worship in that moment. Matthew 28, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is after the resurrection. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. 
but some doubted. Now, I've always been amazed at the last three words, but some doubted. I mean, here you see Jesus resurrected and he's you know, about ready to ascend into heaven and you're still doubting. But it, but it says when they saw him, they worshiped him. And Jesus never once, anytime anybody was worshiping, never once that he say, wait, 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 that's reserved for God. Every time Jesus said, that's good. I, I receive your worship. The next one is that Jesus claimed, and this is such a bold claim. He claimed that he was the agent of answered prayer. John 14, verses 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I'm telling you. Can you imagine if somebody came up to you and said, listen, when you pray, if, if you mention me to God, you'll, you're going to get what you're asking for. Right? I mean, that's kind of what it's like. They're saying, Jesus is saying, when you talk to the Father, talk to Him in my name. Talk to Him in my authority. Make sure you, when you talk to Him, when you pray, that you're going to Him in my name. Not in your name, not in your goodness, not in anything else, not in the name of religion, not out of habit. But He said, you go to Him and you pray in my name. And when you pray in my name, you're going to get an answer. Now, I will say this. The answer is not always what you want. Anybody Anybody here, when you were growing up, your parents ever gave you an answer that you didn't want? It, I just want to see your hand, see if there's anybody. Because if you don't raise your hand, you're really spoiled. <laughs> but, I, I mean, obviously there are times when we ask for things that are bad for us. And the Father loves us too much, much just to give us everything willy-nilly because... You can take that verse and you say, but it says that, 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 you, that whatever you ask, but you've got to take it in the context of all of Scripture, not just the context of one verse. And all of Scripture teaches us, Jesus teaches us to pray for His will to be done. So Jesus, though, here's what He claimed. He claimed that He was the agent of answered prayer. And here's a, here's a really powerful one that I, I think sometimes we don't think through the meaning behind this one. And that is that Jesus claimed divine authority to forgive sins. Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. This is the, the, the lame man, the paralyzed man the, with his friends who had dug a hole in the roof and lowered him down. Uh, which that's a great that's a great message already there uh, that I'll, maybe I'll preach another time about not letting anything stand in the way of you getting your friends to Jesus. But they would they got him to Jesus and Jesus saw their faith. It says their faith that Jesus would heal the man. And he looked at the guy laying on the mat. He's laying there paralyzed, and he says, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Now, I got to be honest. If I were the paralyzed man, I'd be like. Okay, that's not really what I was hoping for here, <laughs> you know, uh, but but Jesus said that now some teachers verse six. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I want you to understand they're absolutely correct. Only God can forgive sin. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Wouldn't that freak you out? If you're sitting there and listening to some guy teach and you think this guy's such a crackpot. And then he looks at you and says, why are you thinking I'm a crackpot? 
<laughs> that would freak you out a little bit. He said, he said, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? Now, the answer to that is, it, it is harder to actually forgive sin than to heal the body, but it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no physical evidence of that. Do you see that? So that's why Jesus is saying, which is easier to say? Well, the answer is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. That's why you said that, Jesus. Uh, but he said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, I want you to think about this. This claim to forgive sins, any sins, that just sort of tends to slip past us because we have heard it so often and you know we've maybe we've received that in our lives or whatever and so we and we just don't see what that really amounts to but but listen unless the speaker is god when he says that then that statement is so preposterous to be as to be almost funny it's it's comical we we can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself right you step on my toes and I forgive you. You steal my money and I forgive you because you did something to me. I forgive you. But what should we make of a man who hasn't been robbed himself and who hasn't had his own toes stepped on, who announces that he forgives you for stepping on other people's toes and stealing other people's money? And that's what Jesus did. We would likely consider that person who said that either arrogant or silly. Yet that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what he does when, when he forgives our sin. He told the people that their, he, that their sins were forgiven. And when he did that, he never consulted the people whom their, their sins had injured. He never went to the person who had money stolen from them and said, Hey, I'm going to forgive him. Is that okay with you? He never talked with them. He, he, what he did was he unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned and he was the party chiefly offended in all of, of these offenses. Now that only makes sense if he really was the God whose laws were broken. You see, because we all understand the Bible teaches all sin is ultimately against God. It's rebellion against him. It's rebellion against his very nature. See, that's why the Bible says don't lie. It says do not lie. The reason we don't lie is not just because it's, well, it's wrong. You should tell the truth. It's because God is truth. There is no lie in him. So when I lie, I'm actually, I'm actually acting in absolute contradiction to who he is. Not just the law of God, but his very character, his very nature. And in the, in the mouth, mouth of any speaker other than God, those words of saying your sins are forgiven would, would imply a silliness and a conceit unrivaled by any other character in history. Yet, and this is the strange, significant thing, yet even his enemies, when they read the, the Gospels, do not usually get the impression of silliness and conceit. Jesus says that he is humble, uh, uh, meek, 
However, if he were merely a man and he said these things, then humility and meekness would be the last characteristics we would contribute to him. The very claim to forgive sin is a claim of a function of God. And I want you to understand why that's such a big deal. Because he's saying, your sin is not against those other people ultimately. Your sin is against me and I am God. You're forgiven. Let's look at the last one. Jesus claimed divine authority over all creation. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, listen to this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? Let me, let me, I'm going to make sure you're listening. How much authority? All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus said. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. This is not in the notes, but let me ask you this. If Jesus has all authority, how much does that leave for the devil? Right. Let me ask you another one. Here's a little, little bit trickier one. If Jesus has all authority, how much does that leave for you? That's right. The only authority we have is the authority that he has vested in us. It really belongs to him. It's like the police officer who's standing out on the road and there's a giant semi coming down the road and the police officer is standing out there like this with his hand up and he's saying, stop. Does that truck stop because the police officer is more powerful than him? No, no, the truck has way more power. He could stand there and try to keep that truck from moving, and he does not have the power to do that. However, why does the truck stop? Because the police officer is standing there in the authority of the state. It's not because of the man that the truck stops. It's because of the, of the authority and the power behind him. When you talk about a vested authority that Jesus gives us, it's not you. When you resist the devil, it's not because of you that he flees. It's because you did the first part of that verse where it says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The reason the devil flees is not because you are so powerful. It's because you're submitting to the authority of the, of the Savior, the all-powerful one, the mighty one, the one who is king and Lord over everything. And as you stand there in his authority and you raise your hand and say, stop, he doesn't stop because you're powerful enough to make him stop. He stops because there is a much greater authority behind you that he knows he can't mess with. That's a whole different message there. I'll preach it another time. But Jesus here claimed that authority. Let me finish reading it because otherwise the people running the, the computer, they're going to be like, he skipped that, that slide. And so he says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The reason we, we go, the reason we proclaim, the we, reason we have faith, the reason we know that he's with us is because we know he has all authority. Jesus claimed that for himself. Now listen, Jesus did not have an identity crisis. 
He knew who he was and he proclaimed it loud and clear. Now, let me ask you this. Jesus clearly taught that he was God. Let me ask you another question. Would a good teacher, a good moral teacher, teach his students that he could discharge the functions of God when he couldn't? No, he would not be a good teacher. He would not be a good man. He would not be good at all. If he stood there and said, hey, I can forgive sins, but he really had no power to do so. In fact, that would be a very despicable person. The last thing is that I'm just going to read you two passages. The Bible itself and other places, because we, we focused on what Jesus said. The Bible in other places declares Jesus is God. One of my favorite passages is in Colossians chapter 1. This is such a powerful revelation of who Jesus is. It says, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. What, what a statement that is already. How can you have an image of something that's invisible? Jesus made the invisible visible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. Very clearly here, saying Jesus is God. He, is the, he was involved in the creation of everything. Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He was here before, talking about Jesus now, He was here before creation ever started, and, he, and it's through His power that He holds it all together. If Jesus were to lift His hand from this creation, everything would fly into pieces. He holds it all together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What a powerful statement about the divinity of Christ. Then we know one of the most famous, one of the most poetic, most beautiful passages, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And then a little bit later, we're not going to read it today, but a little bit later in that same chapter, it says, And the Word became flesh. It's Jesus. There's no doubt that Jesus and the Bible as a whole declare Jesus to be God. Now, it's true that He was a good teacher, the best ever. But He was much, much more than that. His teaching is, is based on His unique position as the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. In closing, I want to read two quotes to you, one from the Bible, one from a former agnostic. And if you make sure everybody knows, an agnostic is someone who says, we can't possibly know if there really is a God. An atheist says there is no God. An agnostic says, I don't know if there is or not. They just don't believe that necessarily they think there's no way to know. 
C.S. Lewis is the first one. He was the former agnostic who became a great Christian author and thinker. And this is what he said. He wrote this in his book, Mere Christianity, which I recommend to anybody that would like to to get uh, their hands on a good book. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. By making these claims, Jesus made it impossible for anyone to say he was a good man. He was just a good teacher. His his statements, Jesus' statements about himself, force us into an all or nothing choice. He is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. If Jesus is not a liar, uh, and being a liar would make him the most diabolical person in history, uh, certainly not a good man or a good teacher, if, if Jesus is not a lunatic, I mean, uh, which he wouldn't, would be if he believed he was God that he wasn't. So if Jesus was not a liar or not a lunatic, then our only alternative is to accept him at his words, to, to, the, to accept his claims and to center our lives around him. The one thing, the one thing we have no right to do is to respond to him mildly. The one thing we can't do is to respond in a lukewarm fashion. We can't say, oh yeah, he's God, that's fine, whatever. I'm going to live my life now. No, he didn't leave that option for us. The one option we have, if we believe his claims to be God, is to lay everything we have at his feet. To give everything we've got and say, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you did what you said you did. I believe you are now where you said you are. I believe that you have the power to save. I believe that you are coming again. I believe that you're going to set up your kingdom. I believe that you're going to rule and reign ultimately on this earth. I believe that you are who you are. And I declare that you are Lord, not just in some theoretical sense out there somewhere in the cosmos, but you are Lord of my life now and forever. It's the only response if you believe He is who He said He is. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says this, speaking of Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, God dying on a cross. 
Therefore, in response to that, because of what he did, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible is explicitly clear that every person who has ever lived and who is living now will one day recognize that Jesus not only claimed to be God, but that He is indeed Lord of all. And we all have a choice to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ of our own free will in this lifetime. If we do not the only do that, then the only alternative is to face Him as our judge and to be forced to declare in that moment what will be undeniable, that Jesus Christ is Lord. What do I mean it will be undeniable? I mean that when you stand before Him at that point in time, you may spend your entire life saying, Jesus is not God, Jesus is not Lord, I refuse to admit that. But one day when you stand before Him, you will see Him in His majesty, you will see Him in His glory, you will see Him in His power, and you will look at Him and you, it's not going to be a begrudging, okay, I finally admit it. You will fall on your knees weeping and say, how could I not have seen this? Look at you! You are Lord. D.M. Stearns, old preacher, was preaching in Philadelphia. At the close of the service, a stranger came up to him and he said to him, I don't like the way you spoke about the cross. He said, I I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ, it'd be far better to, to preach Jesus as the teacher and example. And Stearns looked at him and he said, well, if I presented Christ, excuse me, if I presented Christ in that way, would you be willing to follow him? And I certainly would, the man said without hesitation. All right, then, he said. Let's take the first step. He did no sin. Can you claim that for yourself? In other words, if he's going to be your example, you've got to live the way he did. He did no sin. Uh, can you claim that for yourself? And the man looked at him very confused, somewhat surprised. He said, Well, no. I acknowledge that I do sin. And Stearns looked at him and he replied, then your greatest need is not to have an example, but a Savior. You can call on Him in prayer today and by admitting admitting your need for forgiveness, by confessing your sin, by throwing yourself on His mercy, saying, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you really do have the power to forgive sin. I believe that you have the power to change my life. I don't have to be the same person I've been in the past. When you do that, when you go to him and you pray that prayer, in your own words, you don't have to say a a written out prayer that somebody, nothing wrong with those things, but it's got to be something you mean from your heart and you ask him to become the Lord of your life. I'm here to tell you that in that moment you can become a new person the bible says a new creation clean in heart all those things that you've ever done wiped away as if you had never done them so when you look at your life and you say i've told so many lies that means you're a liar and there's nothing you can ever do to change that jesus can he can wipe it away give you a brand new start And he says, okay, now 
Walk in the truth. God can do that. You can become a child of God with a home in heaven. Won't you do that today? Would you bow your head? Close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Father, you see everybody in this room. You see those that are watching online in the live stream. And Lord, only you know our hearts. There's some, Lord, in this world that I know we can come to church and we can play the part. We can look good, but never actually grapple with the reality that you are Lord. And if there's anyone in this place or anyone watching on the live stream that has just been going through the motions, just played the part, just said the right things at the right times, raised their hand in the right moments during worship, said amen at the right moment in the, in the sermon, but God, that they have never actually surrendered themselves to you and they made you Lord of your, their life. God, I pray that you would draw them to you today, that they would make that choice. And Lord, if there's somebody else that may be here, maybe watching online that, that would look at their lives and say, you know what, I, I have tried to push him away. I've tried to make excuses by saying he's just a good man. He's just a good teacher. But now I see I don't have that option. I either have to say, I either have to condemn his, him as a liar or a lunatic, or I must confess him as Lord. He didn't give me any other options. And Lord, I pray that if, if there's anyone here or anybody watching the live stream, I pray God that in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, you would just grab hold. You would tug them and, and pull them to Jesus. I can't do it, God. I can't be persuasive enough. I can't, I don't have words that can make anybody change, but I know your spirit can. So do that right now. Deal with us. Speak to us deep in our hearts, in our innermost being. Let us hear that voice saying, come on now. You know what I've got for you. I've got something better. Got something that is, it goes beyond this lifetime, something that'll last forever. You can be new, you can be clean, you can be rid of your sin, you can be a child of God. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, there's nobody looking around. I wonder if there's anybody here who would say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Because maybe I maybe you'd say, I know about Jesus, I've learned a lot about him, but I've never actually made the choice where I gave him control, where I made him the Lord, where I recognized that he is who he said he is, that he is God, and I have no other choice but to surrender everything to him. Or maybe you're, you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never, I've never even thought about that. I've never surrendered to Jesus, but I want to. You can feel the tugging of the Spirit, that uneasiness, that's the something inside. You can sense it. That's the voice of God. That's the voice of the Spirit wooing you and saying, come home, come to Jesus. If that's you in this room or on the live stream, would you, if you're in this room, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you right where you are? I'm not going to embarrass you. Is there anybody? And if you're on the live stream, just type in, just say, pray for me. Pray for me. And we'll include you in our prayer. Is there anybody? Father, you see everybody, you know our hearts. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to grapple with your claims. 
and to realize that Jesus, that you truly are God. You truly are Lord. And Lord, I pray if there are those areas of our lives where we have not surrendered, that you would call them to our attention and we would deal with it. We'd humble ourselves, place ourselves in your hand, surrender all to you. And God, I pray that if there's anybody on the live stream or in this place that needs to make that prayer of surrender and confession, I pray, God, that you would just not let them get away from this message. Keep bringing it back to their mind. Keep dealing with them. Keep drawing them until they reach the point where they say, Jesus, I'm ready. Please forgive me. Come in. Make, I want you to be Lord of my life. And we thank you for all of it. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we go from this place. Because there are a lot of people that are confused about who Jesus is. And, and we know very clearly who he is. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to proclaim his lordship. That we would speak truth in love. And that, and that by the way we treat people as we speak truth, you would use our lives to draw people to Jesus. Lord, help us to, as a church to have an impact on this community. We want to make a difference. We don't want to just go through the motions. So we surrender to you. Even today, God, wherever we go, use us to touch somebody's life. We thank you for what you're going to do. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.